expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Audio Description Across the Arts. I am your moderator, Tabitha Kenlin, and I am also the coordinator of the audio description project. I have been since January. <laughs> uh, so I'm still learning a little bit, um, but it's been uh, very interesting. And probably the best part is getting to meet um, lots of interesting people um, at ACB and also in various artistic uh, parts of, of the artistic community. Um, so I am lucky enough to be joined by three people I have um, met in the past few months. I'm going to briefly introduce each of them and then give them a little bit more time to tell us about what they do. And then we'll ask some questions. And ideally, we don't get carried away. If you know me, you know, that's a danger. <laughs> um, but we are going to try to keep about 15 or 20 minutes um, towards the end for our audience participation and questions. So with us, we have Lee Jackson, the Director of Idea Programming at People's Light Theater in Malvern, Pennsylvania. We have Lisa Lewis, the Founder and Executive Director of Omnium, a Bold New Circus. And we have Mark Osborne, the Director of Visitor and Volunteer Services at the Holocaust Museum in Houston. So let's start with you, Mark. Why not? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, about um, what you do and what your organization does? Sure. Uh, thank you, Tabitha. And thank you for having me today. Um, I'm with you. I've been learning about audio description since uh, I came to the museum. Uh, so I've been in museums for about 20 years, started with a children's museum in in Washington, D.C., but more recently, I've been at more history museums uh, here in Texas. I came to Holocaust Museum Houston um, just about two years ago, and so we're, of course, a, a Holocaust museum that tells the stories of the Holocaust, but through the perspective of our local survivors. We're one of the few museums that were that was uh, founded by local survivors. Um, but uh, five years ago, we expanded, and now we also, uh, we expanded into talking about human rights and bring, and talking about other genocides. So it's a lot of difficult history that we, we cover, but we try to leave our, our guests and especially our school groups with two things. One is we can all be an upstander in our communities and uh, that we can have hope. And through the stories of our survivors, we hope we leave people with a little bit of hope that we can all do just a little better. Great. Thank you. Hey, and Lisa, do you want to tell us about a bold new circus? What does that mean? Hey, thank you so much. And thank you very, very much for having me. I'm very appreciative. Um, so a bold new circus is circus redefined. It is circus. We are the first in first in the nation, singularly inclusive nonprofit circus, functioning both multi-abled and representative, highlighting and celebrating that disability and diversity can shine through the joy and the excitement of circus arts. 
We are built on a tripod of entertainment, employment, and education, comprehensively inclusive on stage, behind the scenes, and in our audience. And yes, I had to read that because it took me too long to write the words to get them right in the first place. (laughs) It's a beautiful description, and I can feel the excitement. (laughs) Thank you. We are a circus that provides not only opportunities for performers in all bodies, in all skins, and with all abilities, but we welcome and encourage all audiences as well and provide as much access as comprehensive access. No one can be complete, but as comprehensively an accessible program in all ways possible because circus is popular entertainment and everyone should be able to enjoy it. Yes. Yeah. Talk about human rights. <laughs> I was listening to, to, go to the circus. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the, I was listening to uh, Carl Richardson's um, panel on the streaming services yesterday. And, um, and they were actually talking a little bit about human rights and the convention, the United Nations convention on the rights of persons with disabilities and, you know, integral to that declaration of, of rights is complete social inclusion, you know, being able to be part of sort of ordinary life and go to the circus and go to the museum and go to the theater. So Excuse me, how's ladies. that for a transition? Leave. <laughs> Excuse me, ladies. We were supposed to give CEU codes at the beginning. Oh, you were. Okay. Yes. A, a beginning CEU code is 05121. Repeating, the beginning CEU code is 05 one two one and we'll be back at the end of the presentation with the ending code sorry about that thank you thank you okay go ahead lee thank you thank you tabitha for inviting me i'm i'm really delighted to be here um i um work for people's light which is a theater that's been around for about 50 years we're about i'm going to say half an hour to 45 minutes west of philadelphia in chester county which is a rapidly changing county in terms of its demographics and its population numbers um so it's very exciting to be here um we produce about seven or eight uh, fully staged productions each year. Uh, we have a ton of other things going on too. We focus a lot on new work. We focus, uh, we're increasingly focusing on, uh, mu- uh, work that is infused with music. I'm not going to say it's necessarily musical, but infused with music. And we are also increasingly interested in making sure that our productions reflect the changing demographics and uh, uh, and the communities uh, where we are. So it's all very exciting here. Great. Thank you. Um, all right. So um, I think I did a really good job putting together this panel. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds like you're all doing great things. Um, so let's dive in and learn a little bit more. Um, so my first question for you is is kind of based in my own experience. Um, as I as I mentioned, I am a relative newcomer to the audio description uh, world. And when I was interviewing for this job and obviously doing research like any good candidate would do, I went to the audio description projects website 
adp.acb.org, in case you're curious. And I discovered that audio description was more than films and TV series. I, I knew about that. I'd watched a few things. But on the website, I discovered that audio description is as reflected by this panel, everywhere <laughs> in museums. And actually, at the time, I did not, not know about circus. Lisa introduced me to that. Uh, but you know, museums, theater, national parks, all, all over the place. Um, but I think that a lot of people are still probably most familiar with the idea of audio description for, for film and series. It's kind of easy to think about, you know, someone watching a video, um, you know, and, and writing a descriptive script for that, for someone to, to read, um, out. Um, so since you guys are doing different things, I'm going to ask each of you to tell us a little bit about the process. Um, you know, how is audio description created for a museum in a museum setting for the circus, for the theater? And I think I can also, um, maybe even uh, combine it a little bit with my next question, which was to what extent um, have you worked with members of the the blind and uh, low vision community as you create that audio description? So we kind of squish those two together if you want. Um, let's see. Oh, I, I'm not accustomed to calling on people, but you know that I'm going to call on you. You volunteered to do this. So <laughs> let's start in the middle this time. Lisa. All right. So, Audio description in the circus. We're it. As far as I know, nobody else is trying this yet. Would I like for them to? Yes. They should. So we created a little bit. I'm no expert in how audio description is created in any other venue or market. I've been in the circus for 35 years. So it's really mostly what I know and who I am and how I live. How we create it. Um. We do it live. The performance is live. We have live audio description. Because in the circus, yeah, the routines are absolutely practiced, but it's live entertainment. And so I want all audiences to get the same excitement and the same freshness. Mm-hmm. Audiences with or without vision, with or without, if they're... um Whatever whatever reasons brought them there, whatever access pa- channels they need, I want everyone to be able to experience the excitement and the joy as it's happening. So we have live audio description. Um, we started it years and years ago with a two-person team. This project was begun before me with the Big Apple Circus and an or- a thing called Circus of the Senses. And it was started with two people, one who was a professional audio describer and one who was an expert at circus. So you got the technical things that one needed in order to actually understand the images of what's happening. And then a second person who was able to say, oh, this is called this, this is called that, or, and can name the actual parts of the circus so that the audience can really enjoy and understand and learn along with the person sitting next to them. It's done. It was done at that time through an infrared headset system. Um, the system is much, much more advanced at this point. That was 25 years ago. So the system is much more advanced at this point. And unfortunately, due to the realities of economics, we are no longer able to do two people, although I would 
dearly love to. And when the beautiful sugar daddy falls, sugar mama falls down from the sky and gives me unlimited funds, we will absolutely have two live audio describers again. Um, so at this point, we had just economically, we had to cut down to one person. Um, and so that's kind of what we do in the circus. And it's the headsets are there. You walk in, you pick up your headset, you give your driver's license, you have a wonderful show. There is a theatrical um, organization called Gallopro, but that's all recorded. And that doesn't necessarily work. It's great if you have a recorded script, but you tell clowns to do the same thing twice in a row. Anyway. <laughs> right. Well, I think maybe um, I, I know you said that you have about a, a two or three minute clip um, would now be a good time to go ahead and share that um, so that we can to. get a sense of what an audio described circus is like. And I hope everyone likes this. Lisa left it up to me and I voted for the acrobats. So I hope everyone else is, is equally a fan of acrobats. And there you go. Obstructed. <laughs> what an ending. This is a Dupla Mal Narota, hand-to-hand artists. Two men appear in front of a tan brick wall. One is bald with a white goatee and is standing. The other has dark brown hair and is in a wheelchair. They are Dupla Mal Narota, hand-to-hand artists. They look at each other and nod. The bald man lies down on the ground, on his back, looking up. The man in the wheelchair slowly rolls out of it, grabs the left hand of the bald man, grabs his other hand and begins swinging upward. He's now in a handstand over the bald man. The bald man pushes him up in a push-up. He is hovering over the bald man. He is slowly arching his body with his back all the way backwards. He is lowering and raising. They are exactly parallel to each other. The bald man is slowly lowering the dark-haired man over his head. His arms are reaching toward the ground. And the man is still in a handstand, but now his hands are touching the ground and the bald man's hands. The man slowly inches his way backward and lifts the dark-haired man again all the way up in the air. The man has arched his back as... Legs are over and behind his head. Both men are covered in tattoos and wear a gold t-shirt with black pants and suspenders. And now he flips forward and he sits on the ground. The bald man sits up. They are facing away from each other. They both look toward us and then look toward the left. They are sitting in an L position. The dark-haired man lifts himself up and holds the bald man's shoulders. He raises himself into a handstand again. But this time, he's holding his shoulders, and now he walks his hands forward to the man's elbows. The man straightens his legs and his arms in front of him. He widens his legs, and he starts turning his body. He turns toward us. Now he turns toward the left. He's pulling his knees in toward him. And the dark-haired man in a handstand is slowly sliding his way down the other man's legs and onto the ground. He flips with his legs through his arms and he's now sitting toward us. The bald man lifts himself up with one arm and then puts the other arm behind his back. He is now on the ground, lying face down, face is up, and the dark-haired man puts his hands on his back and he lifts himself up into a handstand, but now he's balancing himself with one hand with his legs going to the left, arching in one direction, and he's slowly turning himself 
He's lowering himself with one hand. He is now parallel to the man on the ground. And now he raises himself and goes back down to the ground. He is oh. now sitting up in an L position. The bald man is lying flat on his back. The dark-haired man puts his both of his hands into the bald man's hands. He lifts himself up into the air. He arches his back, and the bald man sits up. So now the dark-haired man is still in a handstand, but the bald man is starting to stand up straight, looking up at him. And now he lifts his arms all the way up in a push-up. And the dark-haired man is all the way high in the air in a handstand over the bald man. The bald man lowers his arms. And the dark-haired man releases one hand. He is balancing on one hand. And he now takes his other hand back into the bald man's hands. He puts his hands on his shoulders. And he's being walked back with his hands on the bald man's shoulders. Bald man kneels down, and the dark-haired man slides his way back into the wheelchair. They look at each other, and now the dark-haired man sits on the left, facing the right, where the bald man walks toward him. They nod to each other. They look forward. The bald man stands in front of the dark-haired man with his arms outstretched. He lowers them. He sits down on the ground in front of the man in the wheelchair. He leans all the way forward. He puts his arms out to his sides as the dark-haired man slowly climbs onto his shoulders. And now he takes his hands and puts them in the other man's one hand, his left hand, and he's holding the bald man's head. And he pushes upward and he swings his legs up into a handstand and he balances himself on one hand, balancing on the bald man's head with his legs going in one direction. And the bald man is slowly starting to rise from the ground. He's rising into a standing position. He folds his arms in front of him as the man above him is perpendicular to him. He takes his other hand and lowers himself onto the man's hands. And he's being carried toward the back and around the back of the chair. The dark-haired man swings his legs upward into a handstand again. The bald man pushes up on his arms and holds the dark-haired man high in the air in a handstand. And the dark-haired man swings his legs under and through and in front of him, and he is lowered back into his chair. They both hold their arms out to their sides and slowly lower them. Wow. Wow, that was, that's really that's something. Thank you so chair. much for sharing that. Um, and, and that's a great, uh, a great, describer and you you get a sense of it you know he's his uh his narration really gives you uh uh you know takes you along so yeah thank you that was oh that was fun <laughs> i hope everyone enjoyed that um okay lee can you tell us a little bit um about the process of you're also in in the um you know a live performance um uh, genre there with with theater um, so what That's is right. what is the process that that you use at at people's light? So um, first of all, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, so we work, we have worked with 
one audio describer for probably at this point close to 10 years. Um, she is very experienced and she is also the audio describer for most of the theaters in this area. Um, so her preparation is very practiced and efficient. She, um, I send her a script. She um, reviews it. She comes to review uh, one or two performances. She writes out her notes and she's good to go. Uh, so it's very straightforward. We do, do as I have implied, it's live audio description as well. Um, I am part of a group of theaters. We are four theaters, the Wilma Theater, the Hedgerow Theater, and 1812 Productions. We recently got together to talk about the audio description landscape. And this is so that we can train more audio describers in the Philadelphia uh, region. This process is something that we are all talking about now. And, and I, it will be very different because we are, we went, what we noticed is that there are a lot of audio describers who, or a lot of people who go to the first audio description course. Um, and then they don't really have opportunities to practice and to get better. So our idea is that we would create opportunities for them to, to be mentored and to practice. Uh, what we think that's going to look like, we're still putting this together. What we think that's going to look like is the same sort of thing, getting the, getting the script and, um, attending, uh, attending, uh, performances or rehearsals. But we also want to create a, a, a panel or a, a cohort of people who can give these new audio describers some feedback and help them learn what works, what's efficient, um, what doesn't work. So that's, that's the process that we're going to do for, um, for our new audio describers. And I also want to say one of the, re one of the reasons we are all so eager to do this, we call ourselves the audio description learning network. Um, we're all learning more about what works for this particular audience. Um, we are also all very, very deeply interested in diversifying the, uh, the, the bench of audio describers because we want the audio describers to reflect what's on our stages. Mm -hmm. So, um, so part of this has also been, uh, figuring out how to, how to reach people who are interested in audio description. Um, but I can talk more about that later. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you've raised some interesting points there that, um, you know, there are so many facets to the process from rehearsals and performances to recruiting the people to do the describing. And, um, and then I, I know you've been doing focus groups with, with your audience members. Um, so yeah, that's, I have to pace myself. <laughs> it is. It's great. Okay. Um, Mark. So we've done two, uh, two live situations. Um, I imagine that a museum uh, setting is, is quite different from, uh, from circus and live theater. So can you tell us um, how you went about creating audio description in a museum setting? Sure. Um, so, in 2019, we received a grant from the Institute for Museum and Library Services to create the audio description, uh, mainly uh, for our Holocaust gallery. 
And uh, we worked with a consultant, uh, uh, Stacia Boyd, uh, out of Florida to, uh, so what we, we already had an audio tour for everybody who, who goes, uh, what Stacia did was then put in the directions. So in a museum, you're trying, you're trying to get someone through the exhibit and our exhibit is very, um, uh, there's like a large film room. So you have to go through a set of glass doors and then exit through a set of glass doors. And, and it kind of winds through the story, but it also comes to several points for someone sighted. You could actually see you have different options, but to describe those options and describe the different directions that you could take, as well as describing what's in a, in a display case and what, uh, for instance, we, we have a large uh, Torah scroll. So that's described. And um, so what, so the, the audio description sits on a device. Um, I'd love to have brought it and shown it, but it requires being in the gallery to use it. It's about the size of a cell phone. It's a little thicker. Uh, it's from a company called soft tech that um, it's actually a Disney technology that has been sort of where it's secondhand from Dis <laughs> from Disney. Uh, but it comes on and you start it and there's like directions. And then um, as you go through the exhibit, there are infrared beacons up in the ceiling that trigger the, mm. the description as you go through um, so that um, someone could essentially go through by themselves or if they had a sighted person with them, you know, they could still at least know where edges were and, and, and it would just kind of be a walkthrough and they wouldn't have to, there are buttons that you can use, but you don't have to uh, use those. Um, did you want to talk about the, like how we involve the blind community? Yeah, sure. Go oh, ahead. okay. <laughs> so actually, um, that was something that we gave ourselves not a great mark on, uh, when we finished and had to report on the grant. Uh, we didn't do a lot of, except through Stacia. She is a, she's sort of an expert on this. Um, we as a museum didn't talk to the community before. And that was a great lesson learned because we made some mistakes. And luckily, in February of 2022, uh, through, through the grant, we had a focus group. So we invited eight members of the, the local community to come in and um, evaluate the, the audio descriptive tour. We found a lot of mistakes and they got very confused very quickly. And, but it was a great experience because they also, uh, they, uh, Stacia did a focus group with them, but they also talked about their whole experience through the museum. So we're a museum. You actually have to come through security to come into the museum. Um, so they told us about that, what that experience was like. They told us about our website and, you know, what, what it was like, which we made a, we made complete changes to our website based on their feedback. And, um, it was a great experience to hear from them. We also had, uh, Sheila Young, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, who you know, we Sheila. know Sheila. Oh, we yeah. love Sheila. And she actually, was, she, 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 she came uh, in into the focus group with Station, mm-hmm. and she was really the one that pushed us to change the website. She mm-hmm. pulled up the website and did the uh, uh, voiceover, I guess. Reader, and, yeah, and it was it was um, it couldn't yes. find where to get her to certain things. We had pop-ups on the main page and she was like, please take those off. Yeah. <laughs> we, we now have an accessibility link right at the top so that when it reads across with a whole page now with all of our accessibility uh, features on. So, um, and one of the recommendations was to put together an advisory group. And so mm-hmm. we included that in our DEAI goals this year. And so there's a, a staff working group trying to put that advisory group together um, wow. that will include uh, I should say so the devices also have ASL interpretation for mm-hmm. guests who are deaf or hard of hearing um, so we're we're putting that we hope to have the first advisory group meeting this fall that's what our goal is well, that's, that's all that's great thank you so much for all those details and and yes it, the the ADP uh, community is, is familiar with uh, with Sheila Young and Stacia Boyd. There, well, yes. Sheila is the chair of the ADP Performing Arts Museums oh. and Parks Committee, yes. um, and Stacia serves on that committee. So, um, so they are they're talking the talk and walking the walk. So yes. <laughs> it's great. Um, it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about the um, the physical journey through the exhibit. Um, I don't know if if anyone else has been following all of the ADP um, you know audio description panels uh, this week, but there was one earlier today about um, the uh, the work to to create a certification program for audio describers and. Uh, you know, part of that discussion was about, you know, what a certified audio describer who, you know, doing that writing, um, you know, that it's not just about, you know, like watching a video. If you want to be certified, you, we want, you know, you'd want to have that range. And part of that is understanding, um, you know, wayfinding and orientation and, you know, how to do, how to navigate someone through a physical space, um, as well as, um, you know, a, moving image or a static image or whatever. So um, you have, you have hands-on experience with that. So very fascinating. Thank you. Um, so you, you've talked a little bit about um, their, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of including um, people in the process, you know, who are going to be using this ultimately talking to blind and visually impaired people as you're, you're creating this. Um, and as I, I, mentioned and caught myself up that Lee, I'm going to go back to you and, and then we'll come to Lisa. Um, I know that you've been um, having focus groups in, in, in your community there and talking to people about, um, I guess, you know, what they expect, what they want, what they need from audio description, and also talking about, um, I guess, you know, the, the whole sort of theater experience of, of getting people there and, and, you know, is a matinee or an evening performance better and, and kind of, um, you know, just thinking about the the whole big picture there. Can you uh, can you tell yes. us a little bit more about that? Sure, it's been an incredible learning experience. So, so the group of theaters, um, we're the Audio Descri- Description Learning Network. We've got a grant um, uh, last December um, to expand and diversify the bench of um, the bench of audio describers here in the region. And what we decided what 
what we decided we would do immediately was to basically um, talk to people and to just hear what they had to say about their experiences, about their needs, about their ideas, um, what's worked, what hasn't worked, what they'd love to see, what they'd love to hear, what they'd love to um, experience. And so we had a series of, um, of, of, um, Zoom meetings. And, um, we, uh, I was, I was tasked with uh, meeting with all of the groups that are in this area, which are just kind of amazing. So we talked to, um, we talked to people who are blind and, and low vision and visually impaired. We talked to providers. We talked to, um, people who provide services. We also talked to sort of social service organizations. And what we, what we came to understand really is that we need to keep talking. Um, we came to understand um, also that people's experiences are varied, um, one uh, and but important to hear. One huge example was the division, the surprising division in um, theater audio description. There were many people who wanted just the facts, ma'am. There were many people who wanted their audio description infused with a kind of, um, with, with the sense of drama that was being presented on stage. Um, and, you know, that's, that was really useful. We understood also speaking of the, of the way finding. We understood also that, um, that, you know, going into a, going into a new space when you are blind or low vision is really daunting. Um, one of the things I've started doing is, um, is sending a text description of the path from the parking lot to the theater. And that description, it also includes the texture of the ground. Um, so that if there, you know, so that if there's, um, um, uh, tile floors or rugs, um, that that's the kind of thing that people can pay attention to and, um, and can navigate. Um, People love sensory tours. So we, we do have these, um, before each audio described performance. Um, and we have, um, and, and that has, that has, I want to say we've had to adjust that because of COVID. Um, so I don't know what the new version of that is going to look like. We're still working on that. Um, but I think it's going to be very much giving people an opportunity to handle um, props and costumes. And I'm also now adding the model box, the maquette, so that people can get a sense of, oh, of things in space. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's not always available, but when it is, I'm going to include that. Um, so, um, so all of this is a result of just the, the ongoing conversations that we're having and we're having them with some incredibly wonderful people who are i think delighted that that we have um that we have invited them into into our spaces to say what do you want what do you need yeah i mean that that's all so great it makes me think of um some a few years ago now um i can't remember exactly when um on one of my mini trips to london um london's my favorite city um 
I went to see a performance of, I think it was called uh, The Braille Legacy. And it was a musical about Louis Braille. And I think, you know, I was a little skeptical because, you know, musicals, like they can be good. They can be really good. And they can also be horrible. (laughs) Um, But this was excellent. I loved it. I cried. I don't know why I went to see a show about Braille and and blindness without bringing tissues. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Um, um, My my eyes were were better at the time, but, um, you know, I knew that they were starting to, my retinas were starting to degenerate. So, you know, it it really was, uh, you know, it obviously hit very close to home. Um, But when I went to the into the theater and I, you know, told one of the ushers that I, I did have a visual impairment and really had trouble navigating the, in the dark theater and I couldn't see the, the numbers on the seats and could I get help, please? And, um, you know, they were lovely and very helpful and they, um, asked me if I wanted to go to the bathroom first, <laughs> which I appreciated. Um, but they, they told me that they had, you know, since the show was the Braille Legacy, they expected, um, a lot of patrons to, to have some degree of vision loss. Um, and, uh, so they, all of the, the ushers and everything had, had gone through a little bit of training on how to provide sighted assistance and, you know, not fall people downstairs or walk them into columns or things like that. Very important. And, you know, I, I thought, well, why doesn't everybody do that? I mean, I can't imagine that the training took more than, you know, a half hour or something. It's not actually that hard to learn how to be a sighted guide for a couple of minutes. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, every theater, every restaurant, everybody should just spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes making sure that people know how to offer some assistance to people with with any disability that that might come through the door um so it's it's great that um well well, if i could just um just uh respond a little to that i think a lot of it has to do with advocacy and with voice Mm -hmm. and um you know um, one of the journeys that we're going through now, it has to do with the audio description equipment, the audio description equipment that has been shared regionally <laughs> um, is now probably 10 to 15 years old and is in desperate need of replacement. And that is one of the things that that our audio description learning network is planning to do. Um, we have experimented with um a Wi-Fi enabled version of audio description in um so but what we learned from talking to our patrons is that one, not everyone has a smartphone. Two, the um iPads are not are not friendly because they're smooth and um and and can be difficult to navigate is what we've learned. Um, and maybe there are people who, who will disagree and say, well, this is how you do it. But, but, um, our patrons just, um, we're not big fans. And, um, you know, it's just little things like that that I think, um, that we learn when people tell us what's going on and what they need. Um, so, so I'm a big advocate of saying, please be a squeaky wheel. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I think you're talking to the right crowd here. (laughs) Love to tag on to that with a little bit of just encouragement for people. We are a touring company, so Mm -hmm. we don't have the advantage of having our own physical space nor a consistent space. We're in a different theater for every production. And so we're very much at the mercy of the physical space over which we have no control. 
um, very often will go into a space and use what equipment they have. We bring a backup system, of course, but whatever equipment the theater has, which is very often a repurposed sound enhancing system plugged into a different channel, which in a pinch is better than nothing. I do in all of our contracts put into each venue and everywhere we go that I want 30 minutes with your entire front of house staff just to teach them don't trip over a cane, pay attention. I train them for how to support someone who is blind or low vision, how to support someone who might have sensory needs or is on the autism spectrum. Don't wiggle your mouth like crazy when you're talking to a deaf person. It makes them nuts (laughs) or it would me. Basic common sense things that, like you said, Tabitha, you would think that people know people don't. Mm -hmm. So we, I have a, just a real simple little 30 minute intro reminding people of the common sense things that they probably know, but aren't in the forefront of their mind. Mm -hmm. And I found that even if people make mistakes, They make them with a heart of love. And that's much more tolerable than an angry ignorance. So I may not be able to correct everything or to create a perfect environment, but at least we're able to create a supportive one. Yeah, I mean, and we also do a crutch table thing at the beginning, which is they have the card, the bow and arrow shoots through a card. And so we have a card with a hole in it so they can (laughs) know what that's going to be like when they hear it described. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I know what, what you need are some, some blind archers. Then I, my mom, I uh, has done sort of, I, I call it her, her summer camp, but, um, you know, she's done sort of yeah, summer camp, um, for, for, uh, people who are, are blind and have low vision. And, uh, they've, she's, she's, uh, my mother is blind, by the way, for <laughs> just assume that everyone knows my mom's blind. Um, uh, she's an ACB member. And uh, so like half the people I talk to at ACB are like, oh, I know your mom. Like, of course you do. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's, uh, she has shot arrows at, at targets. They pointed her in the right direction and, and told her what to do. And she had a lot of fun. So uh, maybe she could join this, your circus, Lisa. She's always wanted to be in the circus. <laughs> Learn the crossbow. We're actually teaching in July. I'm teaching a two-week summer program for all students who are blind. And we're putting on an entire circus. Oh where, my do you, gosh, where do you do that, Lisa? Um, this particular is going to be up at the New York Institute. That's great. But we tour if you're interested. <laughs> we were upstate last year. We had a great time at Camp Smile. That unfortunately has closed because the woman who ran it passed, which is most unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so anybody can. That's the whole point. But yeah, we'll be at an institute in July. Oh, that's exciting. You have to keep us posted on that. So we have topics for our next ADP conference next year. Um, so this has been so great. Um, I'm going to check my time to make sure that I don't um, get carried away. Okay, we're, I think we're doing all right. Um, I'm going to skip a couple questions because one of my, um, and go to one of my favorite questions, um, which you, I don't know, you, you may hate me, you may love me for this. Um, but uh, I... My first master's is in theater and I never, you know, worked in theater, but once it's in you, you know, it just kind of stays there. It's like this dormant, you know, disease that just pops up every now and then. Um, so I'm just really interested, I think, in that sort of, you know, creative process. And 
you know, the idea of accessibility and, and universal design. And so I'm just wondering, has at all, or to what extent, um, has being involved in this, this, you know, move towards greater accessibility, whether it's audio description or, um, you know, any efforts that, that you've made to make your, your particular art, um, more accessible. Has it changed the way that you understand your art form or, you know, the way that you kind of do your job or interact with, um, you know, the way that, the museum experience might be understood or the circus or the theater. Um, so I apologize if that's a really deep, complex question. <laughs> it's not really a yes or no, um, but uh, hopefully, um, hopefully you'll think it's fun. Um, can I go back to you, Mark? Sure. I, I, I did think about this question when, when you sent it and <laughs> Yes, I, I did warn them all, audience. Yeah. I'm not mean. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it has. Um, in learning more, you know, like I said, I've been working in museums for 20 years. One where, you know, children were encouraged to touch things. Most of the time in museums, you can't touch. I think um, I appreciate ways, um, kind of hearing... Uh, Lee talk about that sensory tour. Um, of course, you have to get past curators when you start <laughs> yes. talking about wanting to touch things. Uh, really but I think place. in learning, I think I'm learning so much about ways that we could actually um, recreate an artifact or um, at least have similar, if there were textiles on display, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't have to use the 200-year-old textile. You can find something that is similar or, um, and there have been uh, also in, in our, uh, back to our wayfinding, um, just the idea of a tactile map versus everything printed on paper. And um, so little by little, uh, you know, we have, uh, so I, I should say, so in a, in addition, we're also working, we, we developed a, an app for uh, guests who are on the autism spectrum mm -hmm. that provides those social stories and helps them prepare. And so it has been a real learning curve when you're, when you're um, kind of talking and, and, and trying to learn about so many different, this is not my background. Uh, I haven't done accessibility before I came here. Um, of course, you know, we welcome, no matter where I was, you were always welcome, but to really be focused on it is something new for me. So I'm in that, I, I, I um, have written down several things that, that little description of, of the walkways and the textures that I'm not sure how we'll, we'll incorporate that, but that's a, I really like that one. So I'm learning as much as anybody else today. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, as you know, I've, I used to be a, a teacher. So I just love the the theme of education, <laughs> running through this, um, that, that everyone is learning. Um, and, and yeah, thanks for for highlighting that. Um, yeah, the, um, 
the tactile maps and and the the descriptions of um of the you know the the textures of of paths and stuff like that it's just um you know thinking with with multiple senses um uh one of the one of my first entries into ACB was was running a couple book groups and um in my disability reading group uh, we read, of course, uh, Notes on Blindness by John Hull, and he kind of ends his book talking about what he calls full body seeing, um, that he's just, you know, using kind of everything he has, everything around him to experience the world. So um sounds like we're, we're kind of trying to get there. Um, and, and that idea of, um, you know, sort of recreating artifacts or offering sort of alternatives, um, at the ACB leadership conference in March, we had representatives from the National Park Service. And one thing they brought was a obviously much smaller model of the Lincoln Memorial. Um, so, you know, like, how do you describe, I'm sure Joel Snyder could do it for us, you know, describe the Lincoln Memorial, but it's immense. Um, so, you know, you're never going to be able to touch Lincoln's hands or you know, anything like that. But here you have this, you know, much smaller um, model and, and then you can, you know, touch it and get a sense of, oh, that's where he's sitting and this hand is a fist and this leg, this foot is slightly forward. Um, so yeah, just kind of using that, that creativity to think about different ways of accessing. So great. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, so can I go to Lisa next? Um, it, it sounds like, I mean, cause, cause your circus is, is so very inclusive with, with different, bodies and and everything um so i'm sure you have a, a great answer for us this conversation has gotten so interesting i forgot the question oh sorry <laughs> um, question again <laughs> yes um how has being involved in um efforts to to make your art form more accessible um has that changed your and the way that you interact with or understand the art form yourself and i know you've said you've been in circus for 35 years so when you started thinking about, okay, how can we include, uh, you know, people with disabilities in our show? How can we include the, the disabled audience members in the experience? Has that changed the way that, that you understand or think about circus? I think the, this process has formed me as an individual. I think greater than any change, it has, I believe it has truly formed who I am today. I started off with no experience in accessibility, no knowledge of it, truly oblivious, just wanted to be a clown and make people laugh. And one of my very first experiences was looking in the audience to a group of very grumpy teenagers with their arms folded. And the clown I was working with at the time went up to them how he knew to, how or why or what his radar was. He immediately started signing. Mm -hmm. So this entire section of the theater seats that had been affected and afraid of angry teenagers, as soon as he started signing, they started laughing. And 200 people started laughing with them. At that mm -hmm. moment, I knew how important accessibility is. And that was, I believe, in 1987. So now you guys know how old I am. Oops. <laughs> um, 
but that sort of started me on a path of really wanting to reach every single person. I went into, I worked in schools for many, many years and everything I did, I was always reaching toward the person who was sitting in the corner who wasn't reached. And why weren't they reached? What did they need to feel welcome and included with the other 29 students? And very often it was a learning disability, a physical disability, a bad day, a socioeconomic situation, whatever it was. But how do you bridge that gap? Coming into the world of circus, I started off working in the hospitals in pediatrics as a clown. I did that 15 years before I started working in full accessibility with the larger show. One of the things, somebody who's now on my staff and is probably out there in this audience somewhere because Brian's the best, um, <laughs> wrote a, when he was a young man, used to come to the circus as a kid in school. And he wrote an absolutely beautiful piece describing his experience mm-hmm. and the smells, the the way he described it really let me into a window of that full body seeing experience. Mm. And I find myself now really everything I do thinking we've got six senses, six, not five, six. Intuition is a valid sense in my book mm-hmm. and feeling and emotion. And I try very hard, not always a hundred percent successfully, but very hard that whatever we create touches on all six experiences so that no matter how you perceive, you get an equal, uh, a positive experience. I hesitate to use the word equal, but a, a positive, productive experience in the way that you need to receive it. Mm-hmm. So I think this process has really shaped me and changed me, developed me. I won't say change because I don't even know who I was before. But it is just, it's just who I am now. But the first dog I adopted was both blind and deaf. Oh, wow. Who knew? It was cute. <laughs> Everyone was teasing me like, of course you did. Of course that's your dog. Well, I mean, I think that's a great compliment. <laughs> like, um, oh, that's such a powerful story. Thank you so much. I remember when we first talked, actually, you sharing that story about the the student, the the group of, of teenagers who opened up once once there was communication, once someone was able to, you know, speak their language. Um, I just think it's a beautiful story. And then just, you know, of course, what's great too is, you know, what happened afterwards that you didn't just say, oh, what a beautiful story. But, you know, you you learned from that and, you know, you, you really made an, an impact after that. Thank you. Oh, I love this conversation, you guys. Okay. Lee, (laughs) your turn. My turn. Well, I would say this has, um, so I inherited this job from a wonderful woman named Marcy Bermusi, who is now the executive director of Hedgerow Theater, which is not far from us. And Marcy first brought in, um, the started the conversation of accessibility um, here at People's Light. And, um, you know, um uh, when i took over the job i think that there was an el- i think there was an element for me of if you build it they will come which is 
which is um, which was naive and arrogant <laughs> at the same time. Um, and um, as I as I started to do this work with um, audio description and understanding, kind of, um, and just learning and listening, I think um, I think that has been a profoundly um, enlightening experience for me. Like I feel like um, I feel like I'm now, like Lisa said, I mean. I just think about this all the time. Um, we do, we are starting to do a lot of community based theater. And I just put together a, um, a list of questions that, um, that the people who work in our community based theater, um, and events can start to just ask themselves. And I handed it to them and they basically said, wow. <laughs> Never thought of that. That is amazing. So, you know, Little by little, we're just opening up, um, opening up people's ideas about what it what it means to move in this world in different ways. I also have to say, we just did a fundraiser. Um, excuse me for the dinging in the background. Um, um, we just did a fundraiser for our accessibility supports because we do a lot of different kinds of support. Um, and one of the points, and I, I was watching our um, executive artistic directors um, at the, at the, um, on the stage talking to people and he had, he had broken his toe and he was in a boot. And I, and I was really struck by the fact that, you know, we are all affected um, in some way or another, at some point in time, with something, and um, and it is naive for us to think otherwise. Um, so this um, this is both generosity of spirit, but it's also it's also like taking care of who we might become, and you know who we love. Um, I just um, I have a I have a quote on my. Um, on my wall that talks, uh, it's from Martin Luther King, who talks about unarmed truth and um, unconditional love. And I feel like those are both the elements that I'm learning about and learning to work with. And it's just, it's just great. Um, I also love the people who, who just are willing to completely tell me the truth about, about their experiences and, oh, what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> what I, I need to do better. I they say it nicely. <laughs> oh, they're, I mean, they're great. They're great. I, I, um, everybody says it nicely. Everybody yeah. it, um, is very clear and, and I appreciate it. You know, I mean, I don't want, I don't want, um, what do I not want? I don't want coyness about these conversations because they're too important to be coy, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I've, yeah. I've wandered, but lots of no. big changes. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Thank you. And you, to the point about, um, you know, disability doesn't discriminate. right? Um, and I, my theory is that, you know, so many people are afraid of disability because they know at some level that if something changed in their lives, they would not be able to do everything they can do now because the world is not built inclusively. And so if we make the world more inclusive, then we could take some of that fear out of disability because it would just be, um, oh, a, a friend of mine is trying to to get us to say variability rather than disability um, and kind of, you know, get rid of that notion of, of normal or, or not normal or deviant or, you know, whatever. It's just, 
it's variable the way that each of us move through the world. Um, you know, no two people do it the same. But if we make the world as accessible and as inclusive as possible, then all of those variations are accounted for and it makes any movement between a variation a lot less scary and intimidating. The hope anyway. Um, so thank you all for that. Um, and we are at the top of the hour. So um, I do want to um, ask our host if we have um, any hands, if we um, want to spend the last 15 minutes or so um, entertaining questions. Do we have any audience member who would like to chime in? If not, I have other questions myself. But we'll... Oh, we do have answers. We do have questions. I don't know if we have answers, but we do have questions. Okay. <laughs> oh, this crowd has answers. They are amazing. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Terry Pacheco? I just want to thank you, uh, Tabitha for bringing these three people uh, together this, this afternoon. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to point out is that there are audio description uh, projects being done all over the country. And the more people know about them, the more it gets used. And that's what we all are looking to do. We all are looking for it in the cross, especially in the cross arts. As president, uh, another thing I just want to say is as president, I am president of the Metropolitan Washington Ear, which we've been doing. We started audio description, I guess, back in the 1970s and brought it into theaters not too many years later. And we still do many theaters here in the Washington, D.C., Virginia, Northern Virginia, and Maryland areas. And I am doing a program on visibilities, which a lot of people know about uh, on the ACB community, on the 15th of uh, July, once we get back from convention. And I would love very much to have you on because I think that it's time that we all need to start partnering all of these um, various venues. It, it is. The TV and film is wonderful, but it's the experience of going to a live performance always seems to outweigh that. And as I say, we do, I think we do something like 14 different theaters in our area, both large and small, and, and some museums and uh, we've done a lot, several uh, of the events that take place on the National Mall, that kind of thing. Um, and those are the types of things that we need to all be able to experience in, ev in every one of our senses. And I thank you very much for this opportunity. And I very much look forward to getting in contact with you since we're neighbors at this point. <laughs> and and um, um, thank you all very much. Um, may I respond to something you said, Terry? This is Lee Jackson. Sure. Um, sure. First of all, uh, that's very exciting. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I, I love to hear about the great things that are going on there. Um, 
Um, so our, um, our audio describer does work with dance. Um, and there, and one of the things that I think is kind of bubbling, maybe under the surface, maybe just above it right now is, um, is um, performance art that incorporates audio description. Um, I'm I'm very excited by that prospect and and what that could mean, not just for uh, um, audiences who are blind, but um, for everyone. You know, I mean, w- what does that what does that aesthetic what does that bring to the aesthetic? Um, and I just think it's a really interesting question. I think you're right. I think it is interesting. I know we've done work with um, what, what immediately pops to mind is we've worked with the Washington Rebels for their holiday um, performance every year. And uh, I believe we're still doing it. I'll tell you, I had to stop going because our guide dog couldn't stand the sound of tap dancing. <laughs> <He'd> <laughs> Something be, they don't teach them in guide dogs. Up on our lap, pleading, can't we please leave? <laughs> but um, I believe we are still doing that. And that 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 very much is... It really is almost prime, almost primarily dance, and uh, so we have been doing some work with that. And again, if you want to get in touch with me, we can certainly talk a little further about that. That's great. I think that's great. We, um, um, I have um, a patron who has become a friend, who's a former dancer, um, and and um, she's very interested in. Um, a dance piece that would be that would be audio described and that would also address the sort of experiences that she has had all right thank you terry uh next person lolly i just want to say first of all thank you to all of the panelists Uh, it's been really interesting today to hear what each of you is doing um, in your specific areas um, Lee, I really loved the description of the um, wayfinding um, and how you've adapted that. Um, I did some work a long time ago with an airline and an airport, our local airport, about um, getting that kind of um, architectural information where there might be carpet or smoother flooring or porous flooring that would tell people give them information that was necessary. And I, so I applaud you for that. Um, and Lisa, I just wanted to say to you uh, that, um, and this is not by any means a criticism. This is again, one of those, if you don't know it, you don't know it things. Um, the clip I loved, first of all, the energy of the describer and um, the way that he brought that to life was great. Um as someone who has some visual memory uh, and has done gymnastics, so I've done floor exercises. I was on the beam when I was a kid. Um, it is. It was difficult to follow it places because sometimes when you haven't had those experiences, they are difficult to conceptualize. I... I did follow it in places, and then there were others where I completely got lost. And I just want to say that, especially for folks who have no visual memory or haven't had those kinds of experiences, that I I, I can relate a story from when I was a kid. I had a teacher who, um, I think I might have been in second grade, 
She wanted me to tell her what a picture was. And I spent a good half hour trying to figure that out. Well, it happened to be one of those old primers, and this will date me as well. It was a Dick Jane Sally kind of reader. And it happened to be Dick doing a handstand. But I had no idea. I had no concept of what that looked like. So I couldn't tell her what the picture was. Um, So especially for folks who don't have that kind of visual memory or can't conceptualize, that's just another piece. And it's not just for Lisa. It's really something for everyone to just pay attention to that. This is a part of the audience that you're dealing with, too. So not only do we have different appetite for description, but we have different ways of processing it based on our own experience from our um, our own life experience. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And again, thank you all very much. All right. Thanks, Mark. Next, we have Diane. You can unmute. Yes, thank you. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm under the wrong impression. I don't know. But, um, and this is this is a question about um, museums. You know, descriptions in museums. Several years ago, I took a British Isles cruise, and I think that every attraction we visited had audio description. We could borrow a set of headphones and listen to, uh, you know, descriptions of all the exhibits. And um, I don't know, I, I guess it made me wonder, was it just because they, all the tours that we happened to go on were accessible or are they far ahead of the curve over there? Um, and that's my question. Oh, uh, I don't know, Mark. <laughs> you I'm sorry, I I, I don't know that answer either. What what was the the tour? Did it have the like directions, or was it like an audio tour describing? You know, it described right a lot of the exhibits, and um, we you know some of the places we visited were um, the Beatles Story Museum in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there was a museum in Bath that we saw, I I guess they had Bath, you know, warm springs there and stuff. Um, also the Titanic Museum in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, there was a Scottish, oh golly, what was that? It was a ship that they used, I think, to... From you know, like like a, it was like a hospital ship that we saw in in Scotland, um, and every you know, every everything that we visited seemed Buckingham Palace was another one, um, you know, and and I was just I was just so impressed with what they had over there, and like I said, I don't know if it's just that. If it's just that, you know, I, all the places I saw just happened to have that or, you know, is that a bigger thing over there? One thing, okay. listening to um, the Excuse me, places. we only have oh. a couple more minutes. Okay. And I have one more question. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Diane. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Only thing I could think of is many of those sites might have been National Trust sites. So the government ah. was, you know, heading that up. 
versus so many museums are private and have to find the funds to, to try to get audio description. So thank you for that, though. So, I mean, the lesson is everybody should just go, go to England. Like, yeah. <laughs> told you I love London. <laughs> okay, do we have time for another question or do we have to? No, we don't. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry, um, but thank you, everyone. Uh, and I do have to give the, the closing code. Yes. Okay. Do you want the to do closing, that? The closing um, education code is 46057. Let me repeat that. 46057. Um, so thank you so much to Lee and Lisa and Mark for joining us and telling us about their wonderful work and their organizations. Um, I think we would all like to organize a tour to visit each of each of these in in person. Um, although Lisa can come to us because the Omnium uh, Circus tours. So um, you and know. you can see it on you can hear it on Eventbrite all the time. Oh, we have a recorded right. version on Eventbrite. So yes. if you want to enjoy a circus. Mm -hmm. Google mm -hmm. Omnium Circus on Eventbrite, you'll find us. Yep. And there's a link on the ADP site as well. We we added, I think we had to add an other category because we didn't have a space for circus because <laughs> Omnium's the only one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, thank you so much for, for giving your time to come and share with us today. Um, I have absolutely loved it. And I'm just so glad that we could come together and have this conversation. And I hope it is just the first of many. Um, and, uh, you know, Everybody has websites, so if you um, if you're listening and you're curious, uh, go online, and of course you can get in touch with the audio description project, um, and we can pass along any other questions that that you might have wanted to ask, but we didn't have time for. And thank you to our wonderful hosts, and uh, don't forget that we've got three audio description project panels tomorrow. Uh, one with uh, Dr. Joel, or two with Dr. Joel Snyder. One on um, sort of uh, the nerdy sort of academic research, which I'm really looking forward to um, in the morning. And then Carl Richardson and I are co-moderating a panel on audio description for kids, which is obviously going to be fun. And then mm -hmm. um, it'll be back to Joel for audio description around the world. I think we're going to South Africa, uh, South Africa, oh, England and, um, and uh, New Zealand, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. So yeah, so tune in for that. Okay. Thank mm -hmm. you, everyone. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Tabitha. This was great. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much.